You're listening to the Monocle Daily, first broadcast on the 1st of December 2023 on Monocle Radio. US Congressman George Santos is expelled from the House of Representatives, freeing him to return to the Navy SEALs or the Dallas Cowboys. The final tinsel is hung ahead of Monocle's Zurich Christmas Market and live music from Billy Bragg. I'm Andrew Muller. The Monocle Daily starts now. Hello and welcome to the Monocle Daily, coming to you from our studios here at Midori House in London. I'm Andrew Muller. My guests today are Natasha Lindstedt, Tyler Brule and Billy Bragg. They will, respectively, wrap up an eventful day in American politics, introduce the Zurich leg of Monocle's Christmas market and play us a tune. Plus, we'll meet the Danish chef who wants us to eat the recycling and ants. Stay tuned, all that and more coming up right here on the Monocle Daily. This is the Monocle Daily. I'm Andrew Muller, and we will start in the United States, where the Republican Party appears to have decided that being a delusional grifting con man and or lying fabulist facing multiple charges of fraud and conspiracy does, in fact, disqualify one from holding public office. Long side-eye to camera. The House of Representatives, including 105 of its Republican caucus, has voted to expel George Santos, Republican representative of New York's 3rd District. Santos, if that is his real name, etc., who has been serially rumbled for more whoppers than there is time in this show to list, spoke briefly to reporters as he left the Capitol, saying, to hell with this place. I'm joined with by Natasha Lindstedt, a professor of government at the University of Essex. Um, Natasha, first of all, some context for what uh, Santos has accomplished here. This is quite unusual, isn't it? The House of Representatives voting to actually throw one of their own down the steps. It, it is unusual. So he is the sixth member to be expelled in the House's history, but he's the first who had not been convicted of a crime or accused of treason. But he was just subject to so many different federal indictments, 23 of them. You know, as you had mentioned, there were things like wire fraud, uh, unlawful monetary transactions, stealing public funds, lying on federal disclosure forms. He falsified a 500,000 campaign loan, uh, stealing the identities of donors. I mean, the list goes on and on. I think he was even using his campaign funds for Botox. Uh, and, and then the list of lies got very strange. That, of course, wasn't going to let um, force him out of, of Congress, but it was, it meant that he was constantly fodder for the late night talk shows. He was constantly being made fun of for lying about being a star volleyball player uh, in college, uh, for the, the fact that uh, his mother might have been at the World Trade Center when she wasn't. Uh, the, the lies were very specific, very odd, and, and ran the gamut. And, and so he was a, a real liability for the Republican Party. See, the thing is, and I know I am very, very far from being the first person to point this out, but the number of charges he is presently facing is but a fraction of the number of charges currently hanging over Donald Trump. Uh, And Donald Trump has a much longer and more imaginative record of just plain making things up and engaging in obviously verifiably dishonest practices. Is it clear why 
a plurality because it wasn't the entire Republican court because it wasn't even half of them, but it was a decent chunk. But is it clear why they think George Santos is intolerable, whereas Donald Trump should be the next president of the United States? It's because the Republicans believe that Trump is going to win the 2024 presidential election. They believe he's got a personality cult, that he has a complete hold over the Republican Party, that that his base is going to come out in huge numbers. And, and they don't see George Santos as having that kind of appeal. He barely won his district. Uh, he was just constantly being made fun of. And, and and, and by Republicans themselves were willing to make fun of him, whereas I think many Republicans are absolutely afraid to to criticize him. And we saw what happened with Liz Cheney, uh, who was one of the more vocal critics of, of Trump, and she was uh, annihilated in her uh, elections. Uh, so it it shows that the Republicans are completely afraid of Trump or they're not afraid of Santos. Is it entirely clear then why nevertheless fully 114 Republicans decided, no, this is perfectly fine, he is abundantly worthy uh, to serve in the House of Representatives and voted not to expel him? Right. Well, I don't think that people thought he was worthy, but he escaped accountability for a long time and and survived two previous expulsion attempts uh, because they, the Republicans didn't want to lose his seat to a Democrat in special elections. I mean, the seat in Long Island and Queens is going to be very competitive. It's probably going to be one of the most expensive special elections we've seen. And, and the Republicans have a very narrow lead in the House, and they didn't want to risk losing one more seat because they're struggling to just manage things in the House as it is. So I think it was more of a practical reason than that they wanted to really get behind him. Uh, While you are here, we should note the passing of a a rather more august American political personage. This is Sandra Day O'Connor, the first woman to sit on the U.S. Supreme Court, uh, died today at the age of 93. How do we even begin to assess a legacy like that? Well, I think the important thing is that she was the first woman to be nominated and to to be on the Supreme Court. And we've only had six women out of 115 justices. uh, And that is an important first step, at least. But currently now we have four women justices on the Supreme Court. So she played an important role just breaking that glass ceiling there. In terms of the way she tended to vote, She was one of the more moderate Supreme Court justices, and I think she brought an era. She was at least uh, on the the Supreme Court during a time when justices were not considered to be completely politicized. She sometimes voted alongside the more conservative judges, sometimes alongside the more progressive judges. She one of the most impactful decisions was probably 1992 ruling on Planned Parenthood, which affirmed women's right to abortion. And then, of course, by 2022, her replacement would go on to author the majority decision to overturn that right. Uh, So she was known for being a Republican uh, nominated judge by Ronald Reagan, who also believed in the reproductive rights of women. Natasha Lenstadt at the University of Essex. Thank you for joining us. You're listening to The Daily on Monocle Radio. Now it is today, December 1st, i.e. very much that time of year. And the next two weekends offer opportunities to, according to inclination, prepare or brace yourself for Christmas at one of Monocle's Christmas markets. On December 9th and 10th, Midori House's halls will be decked with etc. But this weekend, the stockings are hanging at our HQ in Zurich, from where I am joined by Monocle's editorial director, Tyler Brulé. Um, Tyler, what is the headline attraction of Zurich's Christmas market this year? 
Well, the headline attraction that it's uh, all indoors all the time, uh, Andrew, because we, we didn't, I don't want to say we fell out with the city of Zurich, but maybe we pushed our luck uh, over the last few years doing our markets, uh, probably getting too much into the uh, the patch of the traffic warden. You have to remember that traffic wardens in Switzerland, they're not just in charge of giving you a, a parking ticket. Uh, they're also sort of, they're kind of a broader intelligence service on many other levels. And I think we, we really got on the wrong side of our, of our local parking lady because at a market, maybe it was two or three markets ago, someone had a food wagon. It was maybe four or five centimeters over the blue line, which is our designated space. <laughs> and and then she had to call in the heavies. And then this year when we wanted to have a market, they said, uh, no, you, you cannot occupy any public pavement this year beyond your blue lines, uh, which are, of course, uh, v- very clearly marked. So uh, we've... we've um, we spoke to our landlord and we have, there's a large garage under our building and um, very generously they said, listen, there are not a lot of people in the offices in our building over the weekend, take it over. So market moves completely underground um, in a rather bunker-like facility, this being Switzerland and all. Uh, what have you done to make a subterranean bunker look somewhat more festive than it otherwise might? Well, uh, of course, uh, it starts with the parking ramp. So as soon as we're you know, on our side of the blue line, uh, so there's a very nice ramp, of course, that goes down into the basement. Uh, there, uh, you, there's, of course, uh, various uh, Swiss uh, coniferous trees uh, that will mark the entrance. And we've done a, along the slope, Andrew, there's a, there's a number of huts. Uh, it, a lot of very, very uh, serious Swiss engineering has gone uh, into this. So you can walk down and you can pass by all of the huts uh, and then, it takes you into the garage environment uh, as well. Warm, dim lighting, uh, a lot of felt, a lot more trees. Uh, and I'm just looking at the at the plan um, right now. There are some two, four, six, eight, about 16 stands um, inside. You've got another six stands on the approach. And then the, the upper area, which is traditionally where the market is, uh, will have a much bigger lounge space um, and and also then uh, more stall holders indoors as well. And listen, this is the, the, you know, the good side. It is absolutely bucketing uh, down. I think it's been raining for 10 days um, in Zurich. A little bit of snow uh, just moving into the weekend. Tomorrow looks like proper snow all day, minus four to about zero. Sun is going to come out on on uh, Sunday, uh, but I think it's it's good news that we're um, that we're in the basement this year. Well, exactly. I was just going to say it sounds like Monocle has backed into the ideal Swiss Christmas, i.e., you've got all the good, cozy Middle European stuff, and you're avoiding all the drawbacks, i.e., the rain, cold, snow, sleet, and terrifying traffic wardens. Um, among those stall, stall holders, though, uh, who is coming, and what kind of gifts will people be able to buy? Well, they'll be able to buy a lot of booze. Uh, there's a, there's a wonderful company called the Cocktail. They've been with us for a while, but th- they they do a variety of of, of pre mixed drinks. Uh, they're all done locally. And um, one of the very exciting ones is an Oxen seventy five. This is our version of uh, of a French seventy five, and this has been specially blended for our our new would you say sort of cousin uh, brand, uh, which is the Oxen, uh, which is a, a little guest house down the lake um, from where we are here, um, which uh, this, uh, this this very publisher that you're speaking to has a stake in that business, um, full disclosure. Um, and so we worked with the cocktail and especially, of course, people can buy 
a premixed Negroni, uh, a very nice drink called a lowered Ferrari, uh, which um, I've, I've always liked the sound of that. Uh, then we have um, another, a really interesting group actually called um, the Living Circle. Uh, the Living Circle is a little bit what you would sort of expect a circular economy, all of these types of things. But um, they are, uh, they're a group of hotels. So they've got the Storchen uh, here in Zurich. Uh, they have the Vidur. They've got the Alex down the lake. They've got the Castello del Sole down in Ascona. Very, very um, interesting group. But they have their own vineyards. Uh, they have their own rice production um, in Switzerland and many other things. So uh, they're going to have, uh, of course, uh, lots of um, good uh, nibbles and things on offer. And then you know, Round Rivers, really interesting business. Uh, Andrew, this is a gentleman who is... Uh, pulling bottles out of um, PVC bottles um, uh, out of all of the Swiss rivers and lakes um, and he is then taking them down to to, to Ticino where those bottles are turned into pellets they're taken across the border to Lombardy where it's uh, spun into thread comes back and and then uh, these the jackets uh, of course come together as sort of a, a proper sort of puffer jacket uh, but all sort of made uh, thanks to people busy doing uh, lake and uh, river cleanup in in Switzerland and I think that's kind of a hard task because you know, this isn't like maybe other corners of the world. It, you know, there aren't that many plastic bottles floating around. But anyway, they they, they managed to they managed to make a business out of it. Uh, regular attendees at the London Monocle Christmas Market will be aware that we generally have real live actual Santa Claus and real live actual reindeer here. Um, who is actually representing Christmas at the Zurich one? Right. Well, uh, it's going to be uh, Monochan. So, uh, of course, that listeners will know that Monochan is is our our, our mascot. Uh, he's not a penguin. I'm always amazed. Like I always think that we have to like buy these parents some type of uh, zoological books because the amount of kids that always come, up, oh my god, like look at the nice penguin. It's an owl, um, <laughs> just because it's black and white. Anyway, um, so Monochan, the new version, I would say, sort of Monochan, it's not even 2.0, it's like 5.0. It's, it's quite amazing. You'll recall the, the, the original one, who, who might sort of be one or two stories below where you are right now, Andrew, um, was this... It was a hard structure, um, and with with this you know enormous head and and various you know interns and smaller people who uh, worked at Monocle or wanted to sort of advance their career at Monocle had to wear the Monochan uh, costume. Um, but of course, there were a lot of complaints uh, because it was very hot inside. And then, you know, after three years, you can imagine how smelly it was to wear Monochan. Monochan 5.0, also made in Japan, um, but is is inflatable. It comes with it comes with cooling fans and also fans to also inflate Monochan. So he's going to be um, on uh, on display um, as well. Only problem is now because it, it doesn't have this hard shell. You have all of these kids who sort of run up, um, and they for you know they're children, right? So they they like to have a, a go at Monochan. Monochan. So before, you know, if a kid would sort of give you, a, it would sort of thump you when you're wearing it, you know, they would probably have sort of a, they'd have a bruised knuckle. Um, now, whoever's wearing it um, is probably going to get it in the ribs uh, or, 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 or somewhere further south. Uh, if, if if the opportunity to punch an inflatable owl is not sufficient reason to turn up at Monocle Zurich Christmas Market, I don't know what is. Uh, just finally, Tyler, do you want to remind everybody where it is and what time and when? Yes, absolutely. Uh, kicks off uh, tomorrow, that is Saturday, and Sunday, Dufourstrasse 90, uh, and that is in the Seyfeld uh, district of Zurich. Uh, starts at 10, um, you know, who knows? Uh, it, it'll run until whenever the traffic lady comes back and tells us to turn the lights off. And don't forget, of course, that there is uh, London next weekend as well.
Tyler Brule, thank you for joining us now on The Daily from Raclette in Switzerland to the food of the future in Denmark. A chocolate substitute made out of waste from making beer, pulled pork made from a mushroom where ants live, and butterflies are all on the menu in Copenhagen, or at least they will be soon if the Danish chef Rasmus Monk has his way. Monk, the founder of two Michelin-starred restaurant Alchemist, has just launched a new food research laboratory Spora with former Novo Enzymes head Mette Johnson and multi-million kroner backing from local bioscience pioneers. Monk's aim is to create new sustainable mass market food products from waste. Monocle's Denmark correspondent Michael Booth went along to the new food lab to find out more and try some of that chocolate. I mean, it's been a part of Alchemist since day one that we, we wanted to have a, a food lab here that was also extended more than just doing dishes for, for the restaurants. And I think the natural like evolution for me is now to to make it even bigger and having a, a bigger impact than what is possible to do within a frame of a, of a restaurant. The products that are going to come out of this laboratory... What's their aim? It will not be a product company, so we're not doing any product in our own brand or names. It's more about taking the creativity and the knowledge that is in this kind of restaurants and the nerve and the energy that is here. How can we translate and how can we transform and build bridges between this and the bigger corporates and chefs? And I think they're missing this perspective in, in the food technology world today, there is maybe less focus on textures and the flavors and compared to the technology or the market that's inside here. And it's important that everything we do over there at Spore is will be holistic and also scalable solutions. It needs to be something that can impact millions of lives and not just fancy alchemist product that we could uh, we could sell for for a limited amount of people. Rasmus told me about a chocolate substitute they'd already been working on, made from what they euphemistically call industrial side streams. Would I like to try some? I would. So we left Alchemist and headed across the street to the new Spora Lab, where we met its CEO, Meta Jonsson. Before joining Rasmus, Meta worked for 14 years at biotech giant Novozymes, working with enzymes and cultures applied to food production to create lactose-free milk, for example. The first thing to catch my eye in the new lab was an ant farm. Now, ants have been a thing in new Nordic food for many years, so this wasn't such a great surprise, but these were a very different type of ant from the ones I've had eaten, squished as a garnish at Noma. So what you're looking at here is leaf cutter ant colony. Oh, it's quite funky, isn't it? Smell. <laughs> because you are looking Earthen. at a fungus. Oh, that stone no, that's is, a, a, is, a, is yeah. a mushroom. And that mushroom, that fungi, is the home of the leafcutter ants. The ant feeds the leaves it has cut to the fungi. They, they glue it on. Then the fungi decomposes or digests in a way the leaves and produces or secretes this uh, substance, or this liquid, which is sweet and which the ants then take nutrition from and feed their ant babies with. Are you going to use the juice, the ants, or the mushroom? Everything. What no, we have in front of us are two little, very pretty little tacos. What am I looking at here? It's a patty made from rapeseed cake and uh, with some bran and some um, some spent grains, so some other sort of waste streams. Which kind of looks like meat. pulled pork. Kind yeah, of. yeah. Enjoy. Thank you. Oh, that's actually really delicious. What are you calling it? We don't have like a, a product um, oh, nickname yet. Yeah. No. That's for the next creative process, I think. Project 36. From <laughs> project 36, <laughs> yeah. That's it's not so catchy. Yeah, right, not, so not so sexy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
Can, do you know what this is that I'm holding in my hand here? It looks like some byproduct from the um, building industry, some wall insulation <laughs> or something like that. Or hash. This is what's called brewer's spent grain. And from the brewer's point of view, that's waste. I think in England we turn it into Marmite. Yeah, that's too, that, is, that is too very Which many people don't think is edible. <laughs> but we have come up with a process where we can uh, take this um, building material looking uh, substance and uh, we turned it into an alternative to chocolate, which you see here now in front of you. So that, in front of me, are two plates of very glossy, very professional, of course, very nice looking chocolate. Some three flat discs of dark chocolate and four little coloured bullets of, look like, you know, I would imagine they'd be filled with ganache or something like that. And this is made out of... This is made out of... The waste of, from beer. It is made out of the waste for beer and, and some other waste materials. Is there any chocolate in this? There's no chocolate in, there's no cocoa no butter. Cocoa butter. No. I don't, I'm going to say right now, before I taste it, I do not believe you can make something that tastes like chocolate out of that. So this is what you can call the, the, the plain version? Yeah. What would this equate to, like an 80% or something like that? But it does taste like, it has the same snap as really good chocolate. And you it actually tastes nice. It doesn't, it's not that it tastes weird. Oh, it yeah. tastes, yeah, and now, now, it's, now it's starting to be a bit more chocolatey. When you come back in a couple of months, yeah. <laughs> then we will have created a product that has uh, increased complexity in terms of having more acidity, more umami and depth, more caramelization, more toastiness. Is, may I come back? Is, is that an open invitation on the record? And I have to ask about the butterflies. So, I mean, butterflies has been a research within the new proteins and how far can you... But we love butterflies, we Rasmus. Butterflies, don't don't yeah. turn them into food. <laughs> it's not from the wild nature. That could be quite dangerous. So don't, so don't do that at home. But, uh, <laughs> this, is, uh, this is farmed and cultivated ones. Because I think a lot of people accepted that we need to eat maybe ants or crickets and grass. Like all of these things has been, been mealworms. has been, been a thing now that's been talked through many years that this is a part of the future... Uh, food chamber, but but butterflies are some kind of more romantic animal and spirit animal for many people. So it's uh, it's also very controversial when we, we serve this uh, this dish. But it's so they taste different. Where, yeah, they taste different. So it's uh, interesting. We have some that taste of kale and some that's more mustardy. He's saying now our biologist is helping us with them. He's uh, he found one that's uh, that's tasting of nuts. I still need to try it before I really believe him. But but uh, but but I think that's also. Maybe the mindset we bring to the table as well, that we can go quite far in innovation and, um, and use different uh, technologies and, and see it from, a, from another point of view than some of the other companies out there. While I was visiting Spora, I also tried an energy bar, some limoncello made from ant pheromones, and a dessert made from mould, all surprisingly delicious. Meta told me Spora is also working on ice cream and baby food and cookies, often made by persuading enzymes to break down the cellulose in otherwise too fibrous leftover matter from the food industry, with a sprinkling of Michelin-starred culinary magic from Rasmus to make it properly delicious. And given Rasmus's classic chefy impatience, I suspect you can expect them in your supermarkets sooner rather than later. For Monocle in Copenhagen, I'm Michael Booth.
Thank you, Michael. Finally, on today's daily live music, Billy Bragg is firmly among the rarefied coterie of repeat guests of Monocle Radio. He has performed here in session in cahoots with Joe Henry and discussed English identity on the Foreign Desk. He visited Midori House as he embarked upon his Roaring Forty tour, celebrating that many years since he first launched himself as a solo artist. I began by asking Billy about another recent signifier of venerability he has ticked off being the specialist subject of a contestant on mastermind i got two wrong <laughs> which is really sad isn't it but i think i probably would have got them if there's something because people said to me you know i'll oh, send me the questions and i'll see if i can get them right but but the thing is you have to get them before clive myrie says the answer if the if the person saying them doesn't get it so before i could say um which I knew the fourth missing track of Levi Stubbs was, of course, Walk Away Renee. I knew that, but I couldn't say it beforehand. But the other one was uh, the we sometimes put um, subtitles on our records, and the subtitle that he read out was, I couldn't remember which one, and damn, I'd written it as well, which is even annoying, but it was for Fight Song. So, yeah, a bit embarrassing, but... There is an accompanying box set uh, of your collected life and works. Did you go back and listen to all of that again prior to assembling the box set? I was wondering especially what you think now, 40 years on, yeah. of, of Life's a Riot with Spy versus Spy, seven tracks which rattle past in about 16 minutes. 17, but yeah. Um, and the reason I know 17 is because I sometimes play the whole album as an encore. <laughs> but if I do, I have to play it in 17 minutes and my sound man says I'm getting old, so I have to rattle it through as fast as I originally played it. Um, yeah, I did have to listen to it once it was compiled. Beforehand, when, we, when they were putting it together, I had to answer questions about tracks because obviously there's only one person who's been in the firm as long as mm. 40 years, and that's me. I'm the only one who was around when this stuff went down. So questions about where it was recorded, who recorded it, who took that photo. I'm like, oh, mate. So I spent a lot of time in my basement in the up at the lockup work at my archive, scrabbling around trying to find information for them. Some of them we just we just didn't know. Took that photo. If you some of the credits on the sleeve are just you know photo unknown, which is unfortunate because I, I always like to credit people whatever work they do. But I did listen to the whole album in a very long weekend where I I went to Vermont to attend a memorial service for a dear friend of mine, Gary Smith, who used to run Fort Apache mm. in the US and produced a lot of great bands out of there, most notably the Fry Muses. That long weekend involved a seven-hour flight to Boston, uh, a two-hour drive to Vermont, a seven-hour train ride, beautiful train ride to New York City down the Connecticut Valley, and a seven-hour flight home. So in that time, I listened to all 365 tracks. And I'm glad I did, because A, there was one or two of them that weren't quite right. They were the right song, but the wrong version. But more importantly, it reminded me of all the great people that I've worked with, people mm. like Carl Tivy, who played piano and sang so beautifully on the, the, um, on the Yellow Album and the Black Album and a bit on the Red Album as well, as we call them. And, uh, and Dave Woodhead's great trumpet that kind of comes in and, and lightens up all the, the starkness of the early albums. And people, you know, moments like that that took me back to it. I really enjoyed listening to the whole thing. Did you have any thoughts, I guess, travelling in the other direction about what the Billy Bragg of 1983 would think of the Billy Bragg of now? I'd like to think he'd think, wow, you're still doing it after all that time. Amazing. I can't believe you're still getting away with it and still more or less doing, you know, what I'm doing for you today, Andrew, which is turn up and play. That's what I do. I'm that guy. You know, there's no huge... I mean, I, I do sometimes say that I'm just a, a simple singer-songwriter like Taylor Swift. Mm. But obviously we inhabit... Because that's what she is. I mean, there's a great bit in her show where she comes out with acoustic guitar 
and just plays her songs. And I mean, that really is what she is, fundamentally. That's what she does. So we have that in common, but I'm slightly, you know, working on a different level, but I'm still that sort of busker. Basham out Bragg, who comes to your town and finds a small venue somewhere and cranks out some songs and tells some stories. It's a, it's it's amazing that I'm. St- I never take it for granted. I was in Stockholm recently, and it was a big hall, and I thought, wow, I wonder if people are going to turn up, and it was rammed. And I'm like, wow, the people in Sweden are still interested in what I'm doing. Never mind people in, you know, where we're going on on this tour uh, in the UK and in Ireland I'm just I'm I never take it for granted mate I'm always pleased when someone asks me to sing a song or come along and say a few words on behalf of Billy Bragg as you've done I'm always <laughs> happy to turn up Well you have turned up and you are going to do one song for us uh, introduce it if you would I thought I'd play Upfield which is a song of mine from uh, the the kind of tail end of what I think of the first period I mean it, it starts with Life's a Riot and it runs all the way to William Bloke which is when my son Uh, our son was born and that sort of was a a, a real watershed Um, and it also was a time when I I came out of the idea of ideological politics and came into a more personal type of politics so when I'm talking in the song about socialism of the heart I'm referring really to compassion and that idea of a a more compassionate politics rather than ideological politics which I would call socialism of the head (laughs) as something that's kind of like I've carried on with that since then you know I, I now talk at my shows I talk a lot about empathy I talk a lot about the need to, um, you know, keep our cynicism at bay, those kind of things, in ways that I didn't talk back in the day during the minor strike when I was talking much more ideologically. But, I mean, I'm, I, that's only because times have changed. That language doesn't resonate with people anymore. But the ideas, the, uh, you know, the ideas of a more compassionate society do resonate with people still, I think. So I just have to find a different way to articulate that. Well, let's hear it now. Billy Bragg, thank you, as always, for coming in. I'm going upfield, way up on the hillside. I'm going higher. Than I ever been before. That's where you find me over the horizon, waiting in the river, reaching for that other shore. Dreamed I saw a tree full of angels from Primrose Hill, and I flew with I had seen my fill of such poverty and misery Should tear my soul apart I've got a socialism of the heart I've got a socialism of the heart I'm going I'm going higher than I've ever been before That's where you'll find me over the horizon Waiting in the river, reaching for that other shore The angels ask me 
how I felt about all I'd seen and heard That they spoke to me a pagan Gave me cause to doubt their word But they laughed and said it doesn't matter If you help us in our art You've got a socialism of the heart You've got a socialism of the heart been before That's where you find me over the horizon Waiting in the river Chin flat of the shore Their faces shot and they were gone and I was left alone I walked these ancient empire streets like in temple to my home Then I woke next morning I vowed to be my part I've got a socialism of the heart I've got a socialism of the heart That's why I'm That was Billy Bragg live here in Studio One at Midori House. Billy is playing in Gateshead, Nottingham, Bristol and London over the next week. Details at billybragg.com. The 14-disc Roaring 40 box set would be a spectacular Christmas gift for the Billy Bragg fan in your life. That's all for this edition of the Monocle Daily. A big thanks to Tyler Brule for the preview of our Zurich Christmas market this weekend. Today's show was produced by Laura Kramer. Our sound engineer was Steph Chungu. I'm Andrew Muller here in London. The Daily is back on Monday. Thanks for listening.